This is the Bike Snob of New York City, and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM 104.4. That's right, this is The Mike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. And this week on The Mike Show, we're going to be looking a little deeper into tranquility. So I don't know where you are listening in on the FM airwaves, maybe on your bicycle, maybe you're listening to the podcast. Are you in a tranquil place? Are you in a tranquil frame of mind? If yes, that's good. If not, we might try and get you there. is the theme of this week's show and we're going to be investigating it with expert guides liminal an architect and artist collaboration who have been working with Sustrans on a really fascinating project looking at tranquility and states of mind so if you ride a bike in Britain you'll probably have heard of Sustrans the sustainable transportation charity and lobby group that has pioneered the National Cycle Network, as well as doing lots of other good things to get people riding bikes or walking instead of getting around by car. You may not know that Sustrans is one of the country's leading commissioners of public art. Katie Hallett, who came on the show a little while ago, um, is head of arts for Sustrans, and um, she explained to me why art is important as a part of the National Cycle Network. I think working with artists uh, brings another dimension, really, to the National Cycle Network. Sustrans' main focus is to persuade people to shift their behaviour away from motorised vehicles and to consider walking and cycling. So we make the primary project we're working on is the National Cycle Network. So we're creating the facilities where people can walk and cycle. And then we're also persuading them that it's a good idea, so we're wanting to shift behaviour as well. So the artists, we work with both to make physical structures and interesting things, make destinations, make uh, additions to the National Cycle Network. And we also work with artists to do programmes, to to, um, work in schools, to run arts programmes and workshops and, and... to persuade people, to show people, to illuminate uh, principles about uh, travel, about certain aspects of the environment, about how people move around, and to generally um, uh, sort of raise awareness of, of the issues that we're, in, uh, we're involved in. That was Katie Hallett of Sustrans, and today's show is devoted to one of Sustrans' new perspective series, A Handful of 
deliberately experimental projects that are rather more conceptual and investigative in nature than the more traditional kinds of public art that you might find out there on the National Cycle Network. Entitled Tranquility is a State of Mind, the project was conceived and led by Liminal, the duo of architect Francis Crowe and sound artist and composer David Pryor. They brought together clinical audiology, computational neuroscience and acoustics in a quest to understand more about the relationship between our sonic environment and personal well-being. I spoke to David Pryor of Liminal and he told me that they began their sonic investigation, appropriately enough, with a four-day cycle ride. We cycled from, um, from Worcester to South Cerny along Route 45 of the uh, Sustrans Cycle Network. And on, at various points we met with other people and we did um, listening exercises with them. So they ranged from um, well, different ways of listening to the environment, really. Uh, the acoustic ecologist R. Murray Schaefer uh, once described these, these, some of these exercises as ear-cleaning exercises, ways to be more aware of the act of listening. So that might be um, making a score of what you, what you have just heard. In fact, I stole that one from, from a sound artist called Tony, Tony Whitehead, uh, where you, you have a postcard and we, uh, we have a, a frequency axis on the vertical axis and a time axis on the horizontal. We ask people to simply notate what they hear. And of course, in the frustration of not being able to notate everything you hear, you realise what you're always filtering out. Um, another postcard where you have to mark down um, things in relation to where you are. So instead of mapping pitch and, uh, and time, you're, you're mapping where things are in relation to you. So there's a circle with you in the middle. Lots of different things like this. The last goal was to come up with a proposal for what we described as a listening aid. In other words, uh, we sort of play on words of a, of a hearing aid. If a, a patient comes to an audiologist complaining of, um, of, uh, of hearing loss, there's a range of prosthetic devices which can help them with that. And uh, we, were, we were looking at the idea of a, of a society that's, that struggles to listen sometimes, of, of creating a listening aid that might help us listen. Uh, so that's what we've... Uh, we've done and we've, we've got to a stage of a sort of concept proposal for, for a listening aid. You know, tell us a little bit about the listening aid and um, what it is, I mean what it is in concept form, what it would be if it were to be actually made. We're working with Sustrans on this project so the project was always going to be about, about journeys and we, we cycled Route 45 in order not only to do these public engagement uh, things but also to um, to identify a site where we could make a proposal for this listening aid. We became increasingly interested on our ride in sites where there was something visually tranquil but sonically noisy or unpleasant, or, or just noisy and not calm. Um, but we, the, the two most obvious sources of that are, are water, fast-running water, and, um, and roads, road traffic noise. So we became gradually more and more interested in the idea of a, of a, of a sound intervention, of a, of a listening aid, which might recycle existing sounds. Um, we've long been interested in the, the work of the, the visual artist, or should, I should say the light artist, James Terrell, who um, creates interventions where he doesn't change the thing that you're looking at. He merely provides a frame through which to see something which is already familiar. In this instance, we were attempting to make a frame through which to listen. So what this, this listening aid does is to take the broadband noise of a road, or in this case the weir in Worcester, and recycle it. 
and uh, and turn it into a different kind of listening experience. And so for someone cycling past the work, what will it be like for them, do you think? Do, do I have to do an impression? <laughs> you'll be aware of the sound of the weir before you get to this device. And then as you do, you'll notice um, significant attenuation of certain frequency bands. So if you imagine... Um, a, a very broad band, what we call white noise, something like an untuned tele, uh, television or, or radio or the sound of the weir as, as, as you are used to hearing it or the sound of wind in the trees. Uh, we're taking out sections of that. So um, I, I, uh, the, the musician in me wants to do an impression. I say, you know, it, it may be a, a sort of sculpting of this broadband noise. So you're going to... But also bringing out a ringing as well at the same time. Now, the listening aid or sound intervention that David and Francis are proposing is based around sonic crystals, which is a cutting-edge technology that's received some attention already as a potential noise barrier for reducing um, the noise from road traffic, aircraft or any other unpleasant industrial noise. Now is the moment to hold on to your PhDs because this is where it gets a little bit technical. Um, Over to David Pryor again. In traditional acoustics, I should say even contemporary acoustics, we have now a pretty good understanding of the way in which sounds are absorbed by different surfaces and the way in which sound um, is uh, um, diffused by different kind of textures. But we have relatively little understanding until now of the way in which sound is bent around objects. And the story goes that um, some some acousticians in, in Madrid um, noticed the effect a minimalist sculpture was having in the, in the garden of the university. This sculpture was made of a series of an array of, um, of steel cylinders. And they noticed that when you spoke on one side, the level of attenuation on the other, the amount that the sound was removed on the other, couldn't really be explained by the barrier that the, that the sculpture constituted. It was just too much. So they realised something else was going on and began researching what that must be and discovered that indeed sound was being bent around and through taken on a on a deviant course through the through the sculpture and by studying what the effect of the diameter of cylinders is and their spacing they could be much more precise about the way in which sound could certain frequency bands of sound could be removed so our idea is to create uh, a diversion from the cycle path that takes you out over the weir and as you travel along the weir so you're you're running sort of um, perpendicular to it you go through a series of these different arrays which will remove different frequency bands from the sound spectrum one of the other nice um, side effects of the sonic crystal something that's actually somewhat problematic to the researchers that are looking into them as potential solutions to road traffic noise is that when you reduce a particular area of the frequency spectrum uh, you inevitably uh, and they can't quite work out why create resonant bands either side that are actually reinforced uh, they're actually made louder so in effect you bring out a kind of ringing in in, in the frequency spectrum so you have this area of reduction a broadband reduction in sound and either side of that there's, um, there's these ringing frequencies so as a sound artist and composer, this idea that we could create an array of crystals, of sonic crystals, um, where as you, as you cycle past them or you walk past them, the sound is filtered in different places. So a piece, um, a sound piece evolves over time and space. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this art project began with a bike ride and it's to another journey or pair of journeys 
that we now turn, with the other half of Liminal, architect Francis Crowe, taking up the story. This is an edited recording of a presentation uh, she and David gave earlier in the year um, at Arup, a leading firm of architects who've been involved in the project. Okay, um, we'd now like to take you on two simultaneous journeys, um, one through the terrain of the inner ear and the other journey through the sounds we might experience from the meadow to a weir. I hear, we are in a meadow, we are in sound. I hear the fluctuation of frequencies in the landscape. Denham, and I work at the University of Plymouth and I'm a professor of um, cognitive neuroscience and I mostly study how the brain processes sounds, try to understand how, how we make, make sense of sounds. I guess tranquility is something that makes you feel peaceful but not bored, so um, uh, calming and and relaxing without being monotonous and kind of boring. I mean, the, you can see in the brain rhythms whether people are in different mental states and this kind of switched off idling state, slight disconnect to your environment, your sounds, and you're certainly not trying to attend to anything in particular. So you could think of tranquility as somehow, yeah, a state of being in which you're not trying to anticipate necessarily future events, which is what we seem to do routinely, but simply absorbed in the moment and contained in that moment. As a sound enters the ear, it passes the oracle. She prefigures sound. The folds and curves of her lobule and helix focus vibrations into the dry channel of the auditory canal. These condensed waves beat on the eardrum. Three fishermen cast their lines into the water, their movements are rhythmic to and fro casting and reeling in.
the far side of the eardrum the three ossicles, Marlius, Incus and Stapes, cast sounds from the eardrum into a perilymph river. As the weight of the fisherman's lines breaks through the surf river's surface, the ossicle's movements throw sounds through the oval window and ripples of energy permeate the aqueous world of the cochlea. travel upriver, the constant stream of water flowing out to sea draws us back. As we travel upriver, we begin to hear the sound of the weir ahead, extruded beyond its source along the riverbank. This stream of sound changes in its frequency content as we move towards the source. In the cochlea lies the organ of Corti, extruded along her length the tiny hairs that respond to the ripples of sound as they travel from the oval window. As they respond first to high frequency sounds and then to low, the organ of Corti transmutes the currents and tides of her perilymph river into impulses of neuronal data. Cocooned within the coils of the spiral ganglion, Sound enters the circuits, dendrites and axons of the nervous system. It is at this moment when mechanical sound vibration is transformed into neuronal data that the process of decoding the tonotopic nature of sound begins.
All auditory information eventually percolates through the thalamus. Here, significant patterns of frequencies are sifted from the maelstrom of signals and are conveyed both to the auditory cortices and the amygdala in the limbic system. All auditory information flows through the thalamus, both afferent and efferent, both to and from the brain. For a moment, we come to rest at the primary auditory cortex, where the tonotopic structure of sound is laid out as a map across its surface. Surrounding this is the secondary auditory cortex. It is here that the structures for music and speech are prescribed, and sense is made of sound. It is here that the structures for music and speech are prescribed, and sense is made of sound. Within the limbic system sits the amygdala, which mediates processes that invest sensory experience with emotional significance. And it is here, between the amygdala and the thalamus, that we find clues in the emotional response that a tinnitus sufferer has to the sound in their heads and the relationship we have to sounds within the environment. A thalamus is, you could think of almost as a gateway to your brain. Um, if the auditory thalamus consists of, of three main sections, um, one which kind of appears to mostly just transmit sounds, you know, directly to the primary auditory cortex. But then there are others which have much more diffuse um, response properties, and one of them called the medial geniculate nucleus, which is the part of the auditory thalamus, it has projections which go directly to the amygdala. And the amygdala is involved in um, fear responses, so things that are aversive. <laughs> sights, horrible things, uh, are, activate the amygdala, and this triggers, uh, you know, defensive flights, these kinds of, of responses that you would want to happen very quickly. I hope you enjoyed that journey. And I asked David Pryor whether all the journeying that they'd done and the listening had helped him reach a conclusion about what tranquility really is. In a very, very tiny nutshell, um, I think we would, we would want to assert our, our point of departure, actually, that tranquility is a state of mind. It's about the quality. I mean, talking specifically uh, about sound, because I think, uh, actually, tranquility is a multisensory situation. You can't just talk about it in terms of sound. It's, it's, it's all the senses together. But um, it's, it's not about um, sound levels. We can be at a beach where the sound levels are very, very high, and actually the the quality of the sound is not dissimilar from a busy road but the context of the beach is fundamentally different and has a whole different set of associations so it's it's, it's that complex interrelation between things that that creates what we describe as tranquility um, i think one nice um conclusion that greg watts gave is, is a certain harmony with the landscape where you, you you feel a certain agency in what you choose to listen to and that would relate quite strongly to uh, i think i already mentioned um R. Murray Schaefer, the acoustic ecologist that uh, developed the idea of acoustic ecology back in um, Simon Fraser University in the 1970s, when he described a hi-fi soundscape. And he uses that word hi-fi to describe when you can pick out things 
and say, I know what that is and that is and that is, and there's, there's a noise that's occurring right over there, 20 feet away, and I can tell what it is, and I can pick that out and differentiate it from your voice standing there and someone else's voice over there. And by contrast, a lo-fi soundscape being one where we can't differentiate. It's a kind of overall malaise that we, we, we can't interpret. And I suppose tranquility would tend to relate to to the, to the former, to the hi-fi, when we can we can make sense of our um, acoustic surroundings. The actual physical installation of the proposed listening aid on the weir is still just a concept and um, needs more research and more funding, I should expect, before it can actually be built there, down on the banks of the River Severn. Even so, Katie Hallett of Sustrans sounded pretty enthusiastic about the idea of actually making it happen. Well, I think it's to do with the movement and then an experience of something that you think you know about or that you think you anticipate what it is you're going to hear and then this sonic crystal will actually counteract your expectations and so you will have to think again you will you will hear the sounds afresh and so as you're traveling you will be sort of um, startled you'll be your hearing will be more acute and you'll tell your friends to get down there onto the walking and cycling path go down there and experience it and hopefully we will also attract more people to the walking and cycling routes that's katie hallett of sustrans Well, there we have it. Another episode of Cycling Radio that you're very unlikely to hear anywhere else on your radio or podcasting dial. So keep it here on Resonance 104.4 FM. Resonance FM 104.4. The first radio, it was a box with a cat's whiskers. Well, it's a little glass tube on top of a box. And to get the station, you had to twiddle a wire on this end here against a crystal in there, and that would change the station. But there was always a fight, because everybody wanted... There was only one set of earphones. If any of that sonic exploration has whetted your appetite for some more, fear not, because I'll be leading a Sonic London bike ride, bike tour, as part of this year's London Festival of Architecture, a festival which only comes around every two years. Um, The ride will start here at the studios of Resonance FM on Borough High Street in London um, at 10am on Sunday the 20th of June, and it will last for about three hours and we're going to have some fun with sound in London. Um, you can book your place. Their places are limited, I think, to about 25 people. Um, you can book your place online at www.lfa2020... Sorry, lfa2010.org. That's lfa2010.org. And the ride that I'll be leading is just one of around 20 rides in this year's Festival of Architecture, led by... Cyclists including Wayne Hemingway and Stephen Bailey of The Observer and one ride which caught my eye which will take you from the Hearn Hill Velodrome right up to the new velodrome that's being built ahead of the 2012 Olympics and I think that ride will include a tour of the um, of the site where the velodrome is being constructed so that's uh, a one to look out for 
Um, yeah, so more details at lfa2010.org. And I'll put links to Liminal and Tranquility as a State of Mind and the Sustrans Arts programme on The Bike Show's website, which is www.thebikeshow.net. One Life Left are up next. That's it from me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking a journey into tranquility.